Welcome to Ben. Blockchain Education Network. The largest and longest running network of students, alumni, and professors excited about blockchain across the world. A podcast for students by students, sharing their vision that anyone, regardless of wherever they are in the world, will be able to use blockchain as a vehicle to create wealth for themselves and their communities. This is Ben. The Blockchain Education Network. Welcome everyone back to the Blockchain Education Network. I'm Caleb, a 16-year-old high school student from Toronto, Canada. My name is Sohail, I'm Sohail Mohammed. I'm coming from Boston, Massachusetts. And I am your guest today. I'm an Anon. I go by Peter Clemenza on Twitter. I kind of look like a bot, but I'm a real person. All right, awesome. So could you give us a little background on yourself? What do you do, how you started in the blockchain field, and what are you currently doing right now? Yeah, so I would say my profession is like a, a data miner. Like I just kind of look for the most efficient information, whether it be computer science, you know, bioscience, what have you. Those are kind of the two fields that are most important to me. Had I get involved, bought the top on Bitcoin in 2013, like the absolute top of it, decided to not invest in the Ethereum ICO. Instead, I bought Bitcoin top in 2013 and just kind of followed the space very closely ever since. I have a follow up question on that. Why? Why did you make the decision not to invest in um, Ethereum at the time? I had seen in 2013 CoinMarketCap.com. I, I saw a lot of coins that were kind of like nonsensical, like 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 I don't know, like Dark Coin, the the first one to create proof of stake, which was Pure Coin at the time. I was like, yeah, you know, it's cool, great consensus development, but like I don't know. And they're 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 now on like page I don't even know, like page nine or ten or. 6,000, whatever, of coin market cap. So I was just like, yeah, maybe Ethereum. I also thought like the marketing of it at the time was like too much. Like they were pushing too hard. They were going for like the, the Zuckerberg, like kid boy genius thing, which actually like really worked. So I kind of like psyops myself out of that. And then I followed Ethereum very closely, like the DAO hack. I was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. I was so smart. But at the time, like even during the DAO hack, like Ethereum ICO was like 30 cents and then like went to like $10 or whatever. So, you know, jokes on me. And then I didn't really kind of like, go all into the Ethereum ecosystem, I would say, until early, like, late 2016, early 2017. And it was just clear then that, like, smart contracts were the future. <laughs> you know, it was just too obvious. All right, awesome. Thank you. So this is a slightly different question off of that. What would you say or how would you explain to somebody, like, these virtual currencies or tokens are, or essentially blockchain is, like, a better place to store digital assets versus other methods such as banks? So, like, money is all digital, right? Like I have some cash in my in my pocket now, but I don't really use it. I, I mostly like use credit cards and stuff. So when the internet first started and there were like credit cards and and and, and debit cards, the government basically didn't want to allow for strong encryption because it's like weapons grade encryption, like like t types of cryptography that helped the West win like World War II and like the Cold War. And like, that's, that's weapons grade. That's like military grade stuff. So we're just going to give that to the general public. Like, no, we can't do that. So they started out with like weak encryption and like when the internet and like money, like first started happening, like everybody was like getting hacked. It was like a problem. Like your mom would like input her credit card onto the internet to like just buy something from like walmart.com or whatever. And she would get hacked. Like, so then they had to allow the people to start using like strong encryption. And that's why you don't really hear of like bank accounts and like credit cards getting hacked anymore. But only the banks can use, only the banks historically were able to like transfer money. 
So if Caleb, right? If I owe Caleb like $10 and I have JP Morgan and he has Citibank, uh, Citibank and JP Morgan have to talk, like take $10 from Peter Clemenza's account and deposit it in Caleb's account. And then they have to validate the network to be like, Peter Clemenza owns this and Caleb owns that. And that's why it's like 3% of every transaction, like credit cards, whatever. And then the whole SWIFT network, which is the payments network. That's why all that money like goes to banks to like essentially validate that. Whereas crypto, it's like fully peer to peer, right? So that like 3% instead goes to the blockchain networks and whoever kind of wants to participate. So like, why is crypto a better store of value? Honestly, we've memed this into existence at this point. And like, maybe it's not. Like, maybe it's not, but like the reflexive nature of it and like what Satoshi did was like so brilliant and beyond being like a technological innovation, it was really a social innovation. This is kind of like, it's like pseudo controversial, but like most people like aren't that smart. So when you just see like number go up technology, like crypto, like it's just like the masses are going to like kind of pour into it at one point or another. And this run we're seeing here is like kind of like mass adoption. You know, there's like 50, over 50 million like Coinbase wallets. So it's kind of like easier for it to go up because it's, and I was telling you guys this before, before we got on the podcast, I, I would read, um, I would Google and kind of read papers about S-curve adoption of networks. So like Bitcoin, Ethereum, like the big L1s, they have incredible potential and now have developed, uh, delivered on it for S-curve adoption of networks. Whereas banks have like kind of peaked out and like what we're seeing now is like Bitcoin and Ethereum combined are bigger than every the market cap of every U.S. bank combined. So like next is like we're going after their AUM. So like we'll see, like we'll see how the next 10 years plays out. But if there's not a security breach in Bitcoin or ETH, like a significant one, like a mission critical one, it's very clear to me that like, you know, if you read these S-curve adoption papers and you understand like memetics and reflexivity and like how all valuation models are essentially memes, including like discounted cash flow, that crypto networks are just better for the masses, more efficient to transfer value, and, and the internet just continues to propagate. So it's just much more efficient than carrying cash. I really agree with how uh, blockchain and crypto, its future like applications, its overall future is like all, almost like limitless compared to like what we currently have in our current system. And just kind of like elaborating on that, kind of like the finance part of uh, blockchain, how do you think like the field of De DeFi changed over the last few years and where does it stand now? Will we like be seeing more development or will it be more focused into specific parts? Yeah. So the first version of DeFi was kind of like the maker DAO with collateralized debt positions to create the stable coin. So then we saw in the summer of 2020, it was kind of like DeFi version two, which was quite magical. You know, Aave kind of led that synthetics and, you know, a few of the other protocols. And now we're seeing version three which is some version of like yield aggregator being conscious of like kind of being carbon neutral. So an, an angel, I, I was an angel investor in a project called Popcorn Network, which is the first kind of yield aggregator that's provably carbon neutral. Your token sales going on right now, quick plug. But I'm, I'm really interested at the cross. That's why I'm at this conference. When I saw you guys, the crossover between NFTs and DeFi. Right. Like, I think we're going to see like the Federal Reserve has like board of governors, whatever. I think crypto is eventually going to overtake that. And I think you're going to see like these board seats or the equivalent thereof be run by like the uh, board ape yacht club or like Solana monkey business or like a crypto punk. And then the fractionalization of those. So you'll have like governance rights for like the Federal Reserve be, you know, a, a, a monkey or a crypto punk and the fractionalization of that, like voting occurring through a DAO. 
So I'm really excited about the intersection of like NFTs and DeFi. And, and just briefly on that, I think that Web3 is going to emerge almost exclusively through NFTs. That's a very interesting take. So me and Caleb are both relatively young, and I think we're both very eager um, to get into this space. So what advice would you have for us, for somebody who wants, somebody's young, ambitious, and wants to get into DeFi, NFT, crypto, and generally that space? First thing I would say is learn to code, like for sure. Like like JavaScript or Python, and even now like Solana and Rust, but I, I think Solana's gonna become like pretty EVM compatible soon. So, you know, Rust is like a newer language and not extremely composable with the other blockchains, whereas Solidity, Python, like you'll kind of make it. And then like start contributing to projects, whether it's it's code-based or, you know, creating memes or something else. And make sure the projects you're getting involved with is at least moderately earned so that, you know, you have economic upside there. And then if you start working for a project, make sure they have enough runway to make it through to the next cycle. Like to, you know, cause there will, there will be some sort of bear market, at least maybe we've broken the four year cycle. Maybe we haven't, but expect, you know, uh, plan for the worst, hope for the best type of thing. So if you're going to get involved with the project, which you sh- absolutely should, you should dive in headfirst into the space and you're going to work for them and, you know, get paid to do it. Don't get involved with scams, get involved with high quality projects that have enough runway to make it to the next cycle, which will, in my opinion, be like the 500k million dollar Bitcoin. And that's kind of like when, you know, we, we fully take over the world. 80, 80% of the world's billionaires are from crypto and like, there's no looking back. And then it'll be like, how do we solve the Bitcoin mining problem that will happen in 2140 when the block reward will essentially go to zero? That, that, that will be the biggest issue. Like once 2030 comes around. Just a quick follow up question. When you say like getting into projects early, like what does that mean? Or like from a creator's perspective, what does that, how do you know? Or, um, how do you sort of think about that? Or am I getting in early or not? Yeah. So like who, who's involved, right? Like is everybody tweeting about it? So, so like you be involved on crypto Twitter, be very, very active on crypto Twitter. That's kind of like T zero for like all, all the alpha, like everything, like the real alpha happens in like private chat groups. And then the moment it drops on crypto Twitter is like T zero. So that's like now the market has it in the traditional finance world. Like once the, the public market has information, it's allegedly priced in. At least that's what the textbooks say. In crypto and like the meme stocks, it's totally different. It needs to like propagate through the network. So is like every crypto hedge fund like talking about this project? Well, maybe then it's a local top. But is it that this project maybe is just an idea from like a really, really smart person who's done it before? Like, you know, is it... it just for example, obviously, like, it's difficult to get to Vitalik now. He kind of, like, wants out from being a public figure. But maybe, like, Vitalik's buddy is, like, creating this new protocol. And, like, oh, it's interesting. But just kind of, like, the easier way to do it is, like, is the project um, not constantly talked about by everybody? Does it have, like, very high-end people involved? Does it have, like, right partnerships? Do they have enough runway, again, to get through the bear market if there is one and just like make sure it's something that like really inspires you don't do it just for the money because like like you guys are so young like the next decade is gonna be it's a pure renaissance we're in a pure renaissance phase right now so so make sure it's something that really inspires you something that's really really interesting and that there's really really excellent people involved because at the end of the day yeah blockchains like can only do so much it is about trust building it is about relationships and kind of making that happen 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Do you have any closing thoughts, last tids, tidbits you want to let us know or, or let anybody know about crypto or maybe your own takes, final takes or anything like that sort? I mean, that's just such an open-ended question. Yeah, I have, I have a million thoughts. I could, I could talk to you for like probably the next eight hours straight. But let's see, kind of like the most important thing. So blockchains are religions, right? Block Blockchains are religions. When like like in America, like the biggest religion is like Christianity. So like when Jesus first started, like there was no internet, right? And he definitely had like way less than 10,000 followers, like when he was operating out of like Jerusalem, Rome or whatever. Satoshi kind of like created the white paper. That's the new Bible. Now you have like Vitalik is like the front man for like Ethereum, like huge religious figure. Hayden is the, the religious figure for Uniswap. Charles Hoskinson, religious figure for Cardano. SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, he's a religious figure for FTX and Solana. So this is to your question before, like what projects to get to, to, to get involved with. So my biggest returns of 2021, this is like purely from an investing side, was, was Cardano because I saw kind of the religious figure of Charles Hoskinson. And that was a very... That was very unpopular on crypto Twitter. So you don't want to be like in something that's so popular. You don't want to be sitting at the cool kids table in high school. Like unless you know you're sitting with Vitalik, you kind of want to be kind of alternative. And then I saw kind of the religious figure of SBF and what that was and like how he was propagating, how much money they had and kind of where that was going. You know, this is a pretty strange thing, but kind of like find the next big religion in crypto. And and one of the main ways to do that is kind of like finding a polarizing religious figure who creates like a very, very strong organic community on the internet. Awesome. Thank you so much for the wisdom, Peter. Definitely lots of good insights and unique knowledge I think you possess. So thank you, Peter, for joining uh, the Ben podcast and uh, we'll see you all later. This was another episode of Ben. Blockchain Education Network. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Also, keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at BlockchainEDU. And visit our YouTube channel for more valuable blockchain content.